Good morning, good morning. Buenos dias. I, I would love to be able to say good morning in Finnish, but I can't. It's, it's, Finnish is more like a, a speech impediment, I think. It's a bit like Welsh. It's one of those very difficult languages. Bonada, that's the one you need to know when you go to Cardiff. Good morning in Welsh is, come on, students, Bonada, why whammers, Bonada. Now you've learned something, okay? Bonjourno and all that kind of stuff. Good morning. God is so good, isn't he? Did you like hearing those testimonies this morning of, of um, by the way, if I look at my watch, it means nothing. <laughs> it just doesn't mean anything. Um, did you enjoy the testimonies this morning? Isn't it great to hear the good things that God is doing among us? And thank you, YWAMers, you have been tremendous. And we honor you, we thank you, give God praise for all you've done among us. Um, I want to read uh, something from John chapter 9. If you have your Bible with you, please open it. If you haven't got your Bible with you, why not? Always bring your Bible with you. Amen. So you can make sure that what I'm saying is in line with what the Word of God teaches us. John, Kerry last week talk, talked about the healing of a blind man. If you were here. And this is another story about a healing of a blind man. It's quite a long passage, but um, it's always good to open the Bible and read the Scriptures together. Um, John chapter 9, verse 1. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. The disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Just to clarify, there was a belief in Judaism at that time that there were certain miracles that only the Messiah, the promised one, the anointed one, would be able to do. And one of the things was to heal a man who was born blind. The, the disciples asked Jesus, who sinned, this man, or was it his parents because they believed that somebody born blind was born blind because of sin and therefore in order to heal somebody born blind you were having to deal with a sin issue and only the messiah could do that the response is always yes jeff um i need you to heckle or talk or but i yes but the other things he Casting out a, a, an evil spirit of a person who was both deaf and dumb was for them a messa messianic miracle because they believed that when you cast, their, their exorcist, when they were casting out a demon, said, what's your name? And if the person couldn't speak, they couldn't cast a demon out. But casting out somebody both deaf and dumb was a messianic miracle. So that's why this passage, this scripture, this story is such a big deal because what he did said something about who he was. Okay. So they asked him who, who sent this man or his parents that he was born blind. 
Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it's day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground. Interesting how many times Jesus healed people with spit. I'm not really sure why. He spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Yeah. His neighbors and those who formerly, who he had formerly seen, sorry, his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him, begging him, asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. So they brought him to the Pharisees. So they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him, how he had received his sight. He tells the story again. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What are you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. And the man replied, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can now see or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For already the Jews had decided that if anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. Second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Hallelujah. We'll leave the story there. But once I was blind, now I see. Eight little words. This guy did not have all the answers to their theological questions. This guy could not argue with them or debate with them. Deep theological issues. All he could say to them was this, all he could tell them was this, I was blind, I met Jesus, now I can see. I was blind. I was in this condition. I met Jesus, and now I'm in that condition. 
Isn't that fantastic? Simple yet powerful testimony. Once I was blind, but now I see. And these words, these words express the power of a testimony. Not just that man's testimony, but the power of your testimony and the power of my testimony. Because here, in these eight simple, one-syllable words, once I was blind, but now I see. In eight simple, one-syllable words, they demolish all debate and all arguments of anybody. This is my testimony. Once I was blind, I met Jesus. Now I can see. These eight words, these eight little words have reverberated down the centuries and will continue to do so throughout time and eternity. Once I was blind, but now I see. These eight words still carry the same power and the same impact as they did on the day that they were spoken, for these words are prophetic words. These are prophetic words. When I read, once I was blind and now I see, there is something inside of us that goes, wow, wow. You know why? Because the anointing of God is on prophetic words. These words, you see, testify about Jesus. And the book of Revelation tells us that the testimony of Jesus is a spirit of prophecy. A testimony is a record about a person's first-hand experience about what Jesus has done. A first-hand record of what Jesus has done. And your testimony and my testimony of what Jesus has done for us will echo throughout the ages with power. Never think that your little words lack the prophetic power to change a world. <laughs> Something just popped into my head. Sorry about this. It's a slight diversion. I'll try and keep it brief. I was with a lovely couple on Friday morning, and they live in a place called Ironbridge. And just outside, and Ironbridge is a little, 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 little place. And outside of this little, 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 little place is a littler place. Uh, what's it called? Colebrook Dale. I mean, Colebrook Dale is a dot on the map. You think it's a full stop that's fallen off somewhere. It's so small, so tiny, so insignificant. But in Colebrook Dale, there was a man called Abraham Darby who lived there, and he developed this means by which he could smelt iron ore out of, out of the ground and create cast iron. And the, his place, what he did, they built that first iron bridge at the place called Iron Bridge. Colebrookdale was the birthplace of the Industrial Revolution. A little dot on a map which seems so insignificant, but it changed the world. Isn't that amazing? 
I was thinking about that when we were talking to Rolf and Pauline on Friday morning. That this tiny little insignificant place changed the world. And do you know your testimony, while it might seem so tiny and so insignificant, can be world-changing. It has power to change the world. It's certainly got power to change the lives that you speak to, of the people you speak to. I was blind. Now I see I was lost. Now I'm found. You see, when we share our story about what God has done for us, it brings hope into the heart of those people that we speak to. Our testimony prophesies to people about what God can do. It prophesies. It's not just words. I want you to understand your, your testimony, your story is far more than just words. It speaks with the anointing of God into people's lives. When we share our story, people are stirred. When we stir, share our story, hope is created. When, when we share our story, faith is released. When we share our story, people begin to say, hey, he did it for them. Maybe he'll do it for me. When I tell my story, when we share our stories, we change the atmosphere, and it becomes pregnant with a possibility of what Jesus can do for a person and how they can encounter him. When we open our mouths and we share our stories. Kerry, last week, when he was chatting here to us, he looked across and said, there were empty seats. He said, I want to see every one of these seats filled. And there was an amen in every one of us. This morning, there was only one amen. It was from Keith. Thank you, Keith. I want to say it again. We want to see every one of these chairs filled. Amen. amen. Good. Well done. You know how it's going to happen? It's, there's no magic formula here. There's no magic system that we can employ. To You know, it's not like Dave or Harry or, or me or... Or, or Mike or one of us guys can, can come up with some great idea and say, this will fill the church. No, it won't happen like that. You know what will happen? It's when you open your mouth and tell your stories out there because God's called us to be a go-and-tell kind of people. Who will go for us, says God? And Isaiah said, I will go. Here am I. Send me. And God, God says to Isaiah, go and tell these people. Go and tell. Go and tell. Your story is powerful. Your story is powerful. When you go out, you can change the atmosphere. i got to believe that if I walk into a room, I can change the atmosphere. Some people say, you always do, Jeff. I'm not quite sure whether that's a good thing or not. Another aside. Kerry said, it's why we were over last weekend, he said this. Um, he said, he said I, I went in the bathroom early, had a shower, got shaved, cleaned up everything early, uh, put on my aftershave, and I went into the back of the bedroom for something, and Carol, his wife, was in bed asleep, and then she woke up. Oh, he said, I didn't, make, didn't mean to make a noise. She says, no, no it, your fragrance woke me. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my word. She, she recognized the fragrance that he wore, and that 
stirred something in her and she woke. But all that faded in my head forever now. Your fragrance woke me. I want you to know we are the people who carry the word of God, the fragrance of Christ. We are the aroma of God to those who are being saved. And when we are around, there should be a fragrance and an aroma that awakens within them something for God. Your fragrance awoke me. Tell your stories. You know, people just love stories. People love stories. You say to a kid, once upon a time, and suddenly they're all ears. Why do you turn the TV on and watch programs? Do you want to watch a story? Why do you buy the novel? Because you want to read a story. Why do you go to the cinema? You want to see a story. People love stories. Stories are powerful. Our brains are, are wired to remember stories. You give me facts, you give me data, and I'm likely to forget. Maybe it's an age thing, you know. You walk into the, into the dining room and say, what am I coming here for? Why am I in here? Pam says to me, go back to where you came from. I said, I can't remember where I came from. <laughs> John Sutton Smith has got a new sat-nav in his car for people of a certain age. It not only tells you how to get to the place you need to get to, but it reminds you of why you're going there. <laughs> Sorry. You know, Jesus. <laughs> Can't speak now. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus only spoke in parables. Do you know that? Every time Jesus spoke, the Bible says in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus never spoke except in parables. Parable reads story. Everything he said was a story. Jesus just told stories because people love to listen to stories. Isn't that right? Most of us aren't clever Bible teachers. Most of us aren't deep theologians. Most of us can't debate with folks out there about all these big theological matters. But every one of us has a story to tell, and people can't argue against our stories our experience. Peter says, one, one Peter says this, always be prepared to give uh, an answer to everyone who asks you to, the, to give the reason for the hope that you have. Always be prepared. We need to be people who are prepared. Where's Debbie Colin? Run. In fact, do it here. Tell me a story. Uh, I once had sudden onset of really severe pain in my jaw, and I'd had it for about three weeks, and it was very distracting, keeping me awake, and I didn't have time to go to the doctor, and I was here on a Wednesday evening, and randomly, some two ladies prayed for me, and it was healed instantly, there and then, just like that, and if he can do it for me, he can do it again.
I am. Um, in the church started, this church started in 1983. And at the time, Jeff had a, a good job in the construction firm, even had his own business. And um, then the church grew. And in 1989, it was at such a stage that God was telling Jeff, you know, you're going to have to stop work. You need to take care of the church alongside John. And um, so Jeff told me that he would be leaving work. Uh, um, so it would mean that the salary would be 60% less. Uh, and Lord, you know, we've got two boys, and but you don't argue with God, so that's fine. So he left work. And I, I needn't to worry because God has taken care of us financially all yeah, the way along in various amazing ways we have never wanted. We just didn't notice the drop because God took care of us. And so if you do what God tells you to do, he's going to look after you. So what God did for us, he can do for you. With Claire. With my friend Claire. Claire, Claire, Claire. Oh, hello. <laughs> All kinds of people are coming now. <laughs> so, so uh, about a year ago, um, I'd been work. Well, I had been working in the GP surgery for twenty years, and I could do the job standing on my head. And sometimes it physically felt like that, but um, I really felt it was time to move on. And I um, did. Um, took me took me a while to get through the process of getting the new job. Um, but that week I started my new job. New job. I was so excited. I've been waiting for this since like four months. Um, and by the time I started the job, I was like so excited. I then, in that first week, thought, "What have I done? I could do my other job, standing on my head." And I just felt. I can't do this job. It wasn't what I expected. It wasn't what I wanted. And I came to the church on the Sunday, and uh, Debbie gave a word where she said that somebody felt totally overwhelmed and that um, God was going to change something and do something. And before she even got down from what she was saying, I, I said, that is me. I went forward, asked her to pray, and some other ladies stood with me. And within a few weeks... I went from thinking, what have I done, to thinking, this is the job for me. This is a job that had been, God had been planning for a long, long time. And through this job, he has given me so many opportunities to share with people. So thank you, God. Hiya. Uh, this is a, a testimony about God's word, really. So just over a year or so ago, um, my wife and I were on holiday. And in the second week of holiday, uh, my wife got really ill. Uh, and on the Thursday, um, we went into hospital uh, with her. And the day after, I received a phone call first thing in the morning. You're going to have to go in because she can't breathe for herself. We're going to have to put her on, put her on a machine. Um, to breathe for her. Um, so I got there. She wasn't on the machine yet. She was in lots of distress. And um, they said, you need to phone all your family because this could be it. 
uh, we don't know whether she's going to live. Um, so I phoned Ram family, her parents, uh, our daughter and, and son-in-law, um, her sisters. And um, so they were all on the way. Uh, before any of them could get there, they said, well, we're just going to have to intubate her now. We can't wait to give them a chance to speak to her. Um, so they intubated her. Um, and then we were all sent into a room and uh, the consultant was going to come and speak to us when everyone uh, had arrived. And um, the consultant opened her mouth to say, and it was, it was a description of what was wrong with Carol. She had pneumonia. And just at that moment when she was about to sort of give the prognosis, God just dropped into my mind the verse, um, you shall not die but live. And I almost felt embarrassed because the consultant was talking away about how serious it was when you say goodbyes. And I was just like, I can't believe you. <laughs> You're sort of wasting your breath because God has given his word. Amen. And, and that's over and above everything else. Uh, and the consultant finished and I, I shared that with the family. And I, and I just said, if, if you're praying, don't pray for Carol, just pray and thank God that she's not going to die, but she's going to live. Um, and over, over the next week or 10 days, like day two or three, it's like, oh, the, the antibiotics are working. Uh, the pneumonia's um, receding, her temperature's gone down, her infection markers have come down. Oh, and it's really quick. We didn't expect it that quick. And then a few days later, it was like, oh, we'll, we'll try and take her off the sedation. And... Um, didn't work the first time, but then a few a few days more, it was like, we can't really take her off the sedation because she's fighting the tubes. We're just going to have to take everything out all at once. And everything came out all at once. And she was okay. And they were like, we can't believe it. And I was like, well, God, God said, and, and that's it. His, his word is oh, what have everything. Yes. Amen. <laughs> Thank you. We all have stories to tell. Every one of us has stories to tell. This is some random people out of our connect group. And there were others in this room saying, well, I didn't get my goal. Because I can't shut them up. But we all have wonderful stories to tell, don't we? And it's a simple thing, you know, to tell your story. It's as simple as this. I was like this. I met Jesus... And now I'm like this. I was in this situation. I met Jesus. Now I'm in this situation. I was under this pressure. Jesus ministered to me. And now he's like this. That's all it is. That's all it is. From a very young age, I had migraine headaches. If anybody's had migraine headaches, you know what they're like. They're, they're not pleasant things. I had migraine headaches from being a young child into my early 30s, but I went to a Christian meeting, and this guy called Ian Andrews prayed for me, and I've never had any migraine headaches since. In fact, I don't even get headaches really now. How long did that take? 30 seconds? 
You're walking up to somebody and say, hello, you suffer from migraine headaches? I know you do, you know. But you know, I met, I, I, I used to do that, and I met Jesus, and this guy prayed for me in the name of Jesus. It was amazing. He put his hand on me like that and said, in the name of Jesus, migraine headaches go and go forever. No return. Healing in Jesus' name. And you know what? I've never had one since. See what? It doesn't, it's not a big deal of a thing. You don't need to take quarter. In fact, we have this little phrase that the, 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 you'll not tell it often if you can't tell it quick. It's like you're in the lift. You've got 30 seconds to tell your story to some random stranger. If you sat on the coffee, you can take longer. But it's as simple as this. I was like this. I had an encounter with Jesus, and now it's like this. And what is? And let me say, number four, it's always this. Are you ready? What he's done for me, he'll do for you. What he's done for me, one of the meanings of the word testimony, root meaning of the word testimony, I know you know this, but I'm going to tell you again, means he'll do it again. Because when God does something, he establishes a principle that I do this, and I did it then, and I'll do that again. And what he did for me, he'll do for you. I'd like to encourage every one of you to remember again the things that God has done in your life. Just think about all the wonderful things that God has done in your life. And you'll find you have so many stories to tell that you can just pull them out in the right moment for the right person. About God saving you, about his provision, about his love, about his healing, about his peace, about his blessing. About him rescuing you, transforming you. We've all got, haven't we? Is there a Christian here who doesn't have a testimony? Put your hand up because if you have, you're not a Christian. Because if you're a Christian, you've got a testimony of how God saved you. Hello? You may feel, oh, well, you know, you know, my story isn't very spectacular. Not many of you were rescued out of a drug and alcohol-induced life of sin and debauchery. There's one or two. <laughs> but, but, but by and by large... By and, large, by and large, most of us, it wasn't like that. Uh, I'm challenged by the way at the moment of producing uh, my own little personal track. Another track. My little, little life story. Maybe a picture of me on the car would be nice. Just a little start, four or five hundred words, tells my story. You're in the restaurant, you have a long time, you chat to the waitress or the waiter, and it develops some kind of a call, and at the end you leave some decent tip. and say, you know, maybe you'd like to read this, it's my story. Anybody would like to read that, I've met somebody. I'm going to do that, I'll challenge myself to do that, to write my story. Maybe you'd like to be challenged to do that yourself. All kinds of, you know, the plumber comes, the window cleaner comes, whatever. The guy in the Bible, Jesus encounters, he, he was, he was demonized, he, he was in a terrible state. Jesus meets him, and he's known as the, uh, the, uh, the gathering, and um, 
Now Jesus met him and he pulls him out, he's naked, cut himself with all kinds of things, hiding in the tombstones and all those kind of things. Nobody goes near, all chained up. He's a real, real mess, this guy. And the people of the local town, the village, don't go near because uh, he's this wild man. And Jesus jumps, casts out these demons from him. You remember the story, I'm sure. At the end of that story, uh, and this guy now is dressed and sorted out in his right mind. And, and as Jesus is getting back into the boat to leave, this demon possessed man, or the guy who had been demon possessed, begged Jesus, Can I go with you? I want to go with you. Don't let me stay here, I want to come with you. And Jesus says these words to him, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. Go home and tell your family and friends, anybody else, what Jesus has done for you. The story goes on to say that the man went away began to tell in the cities around there how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. A great story. He didn't go with Jesus. He said, he said just go tell everybody what Jesus has done for you. Go and tell. He wasn't educated. He wasn't eloquent. He just had a great story to tell about what Jesus had done for him. Let me just end by saying something else quickly because time's zooming by. We should be able to tell people, but I want to challenge us all on this. Not only should we be people who go and tell, but people who say, come and see. You go and tell people, but also be a come and see people. You know, uh, Philip, one of the first people that Jesus chose to follow him, the first thing he does is he finds a man called Nathaniel, and he says to Nathaniel, we found the Messiah, we found the promised one, we found the one that the prophets spoke about. Who is it? It's Jesus of Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Come and see, he said. Come and see. And he came and he saw. And he said, wow, that's fantastic. He is who he said he was. Come and see. Yeah. Can anything good come out of this place? Come and see. Well, come with uh, a great panel service on the 17th of December. Well, this fantastic book is going to be bringing the address. Really good to me. Well, me, is it? I think you might be. Why don't you come and see? See, maybe they're not going to get saved just chatting to them, but come and see. I believe if people come into this place, they sense the environment of God and the welcome of God, the warmth of God, the love of God, and the presence of God. Come and see. Come and experience something for yourself like you've never experienced. Come and find family like you wouldn't believe. Come and see. Come and see, says Philip. And there's a lovely story about that lady in the well that Jesus spoke to. Told her all about himself. Told her all she'd done. Knew everything about her. And this woman who was at the well listened to Jesus. But it says, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come and see 
Come and see the man who called me everything I ever did. Come and see. And many of the Samaritans of the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Oh, she went and told her story and said, Come and see. Tell her story. And she said, Come and see. Come and see for yourself. And when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of your testimony. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. Go and tell. And invite them to come and see. Go and tell. Invite them to come and see. We need to be an invitational people. We've got a bunch of neighbours around here. One of my wife's tasks every Christmas. First thing she said, I'll go around the neighbours. Calls the letterbox. And all the Helen does the same. But she lives quite close to me. <laughs> Probably past the in my district of poverty. Oh. <laughs> she she lives quite close to me. We've got a pizza movement going on. Go and tell your story and invite people to come and see. Take notes. Uh, anyone you can give them to. Invite them to come. Invite them to come. I think I'll finish for the day. Let's sing. Thank you for listening so attentively. John, I apologize for being rude. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> God is good. Let's start together, shall we? While the musicians come, we're going to lead them into something which will propel us into the highways and the byways. To compel them to come. <laughs> 